Los Angeles has a tremendous Filipino-American community. This Hole in the Air podcast features our talk with some wonderful Pilipinex leadership. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Michael Newman, and I am part of the Hole in the Air podcast team for today. Uh, we're focusing on a transcendently important community here in Los Angeles and California, but one that maybe doesn't get the attention sometimes that it deserves. And so um, without further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome our guests. First of all, Renee, did I say Renee? Renee is here too uh, as part of our team. Our guests are Aki and Ian, and I'm going to invite them to uh, introduce themselves more fully, tell us a bit about themselves, and uh, and so Aki. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm Aki Soriano Versosa, and I'm the executive director of the Filipino Worker Center, also one of the founders. Um, and we started back in we were, well, we started in 1995, but we were founded in '97, and then I've been director for since '99, so about 20 years. Um, and so I've been organizing in the Filipino community since then, and and before that also in the Philippines. So. Uh, we have a very global population. We're very connected to the international, um, even our local community here in Los Angeles. Um, and we've been working with um, primarily low-wage workers in the Filipino community is where we focus, um, and most specifically uh, domestic workers, home care workers who are living one-on-one um, in individual homes caring for um, elders in our community. And Ian? Thank you, Paul. Um, my name is Ian Camus. I'm one of the uh, organizers here at the Filipino Workers Center. Um, yeah, my work, uh, like Aki, focuses around organizing the community around, um, you know, uh, things like civic engagement. So one of my focuses is working through the Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, or FFEP for short, um, which seeks to increase civic participation in the Filipino community um, by, you know, doing education, you know, a field program, all the usual um, kind of things, as well as, um, and also I do a lot of work here around the residents here at the Young Village, where the Filipino Worker Center is housed, and where we're actually, I think, casting this right now, um, which uh, on the top floors has, like, uh, 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 you know, family units where, you know, uh, uh, you know families live, um, and I help provide services for them as well. Mm-hmm. And we're here in historic Filipino town. That was my next question. Um, so, and, and I, I certainly know you by reputation, and I think from past, uh, well, ships passing each other in the daytime at various political uh, events. We're certainly incredibly interested in the, uh, the matter of the voter registration, voter outreach yeah. part, which we'll come to in a little bit. Um, but maybe we can uh, actually try to get you can help me get a, more of a handle on the community mm-hmm. uh, and how it is and sometimes isn't identified uh, and a little bit of the history here in California and Los Angeles perhaps of the uh, the community which is large important and uh, and we'll find out maybe a little bit more about how it's evolving politically in terms of uh, of its capacity or your capacity to be as fully empowered as possible. Um, so 
maybe you want to uh, volunteer a few thoughts? Sure. Um, in our community, is, the Filipino community is kind of like historic Filipino town in general. So uh, historic Filipino town, we have like the largest name, but if you go through it, it's kind of like anywhere Los Angeles. It doesn't have that same kind of visibility or identification as like other towns, like Chinatown or Koreatown, even Thai town, right? Little Tokyo. Even. Little Tokyo, right. And um, so our community is this large community. We've been actually the largest um, Asian Pacific Islander community in Los Angeles City for decades. But you don't feel our presence the same way that you feel other communities. Um, and we're actually, we've been, Filipinos were a part of the founding of Los Angeles, actually. So we're one of the longtime communities that's been here, even though um, the numbers really boomed more around, um, well, in the 1920s, there was uh, a larger amount of migration, especially the farm workers to the West Coast. Um, And my grandfather actually came over in the 1920s. Um, So Filipinos worked all up and down the coast, um, in the fields and also in the canneries. Um, and then in the 1965s, in, in 1965, after the, um, Im- the Immigration Act, then the character of the um, community changed again as there was a, a large influx of immigrants from the Philippines who were most, mostly professionals and um, because visas opened up for professionals like doctors, accountants, engineers, kind of meeting that kind of gap, the labor gap here in the United States. In reading, researching a little bit before uh, this, uh, this chat, um, I saw a couple references on Wikipedia, I think it was, with this or that article, mm-hmm. about how the population in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, I think, was substantially male. Yes. And so I just was going to ask you about that. I think maybe you've given a, a hint as to why that is because of the uh, the physical labor that was – not that women don't do physical labor, uh, but that that's probably um, something that changed when the visas opened up to uh, other professions than the ones that were the norm up till mm-hmm. then. It was also, you know, um, generally that was the case for all Asian Pacific Islander immigrants and migrants that came here to the U.S. at that time, overwhelmingly um, male. And because they were laborers and, and traveling on boats across, you know, they were they were recruited as laborers also in the home countries to come here. Um, so um, very, very few women were actually here um, because of, you said it exactly, that they were brought here as laborers. Um, do you think some Filipinos are just misrepresented like because of Hispanic surnames and people don't see them as or the or they haven't historically understood that this is a different culture from a different place. Mhm. Well, I think in terms of that question of visibility, right? Recognizing yeah. the right, Filipino exactly. community. Part of it is we were a colony, a direct colony of the United States, first of Spain for dec- uh, for um, yeah, for about 500 years, and then of America. So we actually had a school system that taught English, and um, and I think that 
that relationship, be, that colonial relationship between America and Philippines made it more possible that when migrants came here, there was a more, there's a more spreading out. So less so in like the 1920s, 30s, because there was so much se- segregation then, you could clearly see the Filipino community. But nowadays, um, we tend to adapt really well because we actually are migrating all over the globe. And so, and because we have that English capability, we're actually not kept in one area for the need of that, you know, to have stores that speak your language. And, you know, so that's, that's a strength in one way that we can go out and, you know, work all over the place. But in another way, it disperses our community where you don't actually see us as much. And because, I mean, like, one of the very popular restaurants, for example, that's Filipino was Goldilocks, right? With this girl with blonde hair. Like, if you didn't know it was Filipino, you wouldn't know it's Filipino. So, and that's kind of part of our, our colonial legacy. Um, you mentioned the uh, English language speaking mm-hmm. aspect, but there are how many dialects spoken in the Philippines? And then of that, if you know, and of that number, um, are they all to be found here in California? And is there a, is there a, a division, if you will, with the community based on dialects and whatever distinct heritage that and location that might represent? Or is there, is the community fairly uniform, or is it even split if you live in Northern California versus Southern California? What are the dividing lines, if any, so mm-hmm. far? Mm-hmm. And how do you confront those? Mm-hmm. Do you know the exact numbers of dialects, Ian? Oh, there are. I'm, I'm sure there are hundreds, right? Um, and you spoke, speak. You speak them all. <laughs> I wish, but um, I mean, just I mean, you, personally within my own family, like we speak uh, three different dialects, right? My mo- my mother speaks Tagalog, which is kind of like the all-encompassing language of the country, um, but she also speaks Kapampangan, which is like a uh, regional dialect in Pampanga, where she's from, where she grew up, and my dad doesn't speak. Kapampangan because he grew up in uh, in in uh, Batangas, so Batangueño, right? So like again, you know, this it, it's it's really amazing to see when you visit the country because, I mean, just historically, right? A lot of the a lot of Filipinos are descended like those that were there in the Philippines were descended from the Datus who came from like Malaysia, Indonesia, who settled in the in the islands way back before the Spanish um, colonized the country. Um, so yeah, and and to your point, Paul, about like sort of the division, sort of the you know the differences. I think to an extent that is true, right? That um, and and, just, and I'm speaking from my experience that like you know sometimes people will say, oh you know, we're, you know one of the probably the one of the most common questions that we get whenever we talk to a fellow Filipino is like, oh where are you from, right? And then we'll say, oh I'm from uh, Los Angeles. No 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 no, where are you like really from? Right. That's what then that's the next question, right? Like, oh, you know, my family's from here in this region. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I, um, I, I'm from there, too. Or like, oh, I know someone from there. Right. So that, that's kind of like where we kind of try, you know, to, to find, you know, our kind of our place. And like and even if there's like a mutual connection, if like you're from the same region. Right. Um, but the I, I, I guess, right, like speaking different dialects uh, makes it so that you may not understand each other, but again, there is a unifying language in or unifying dialect in Tagalog, right? Mm-hmm. So or that, English, or English as well, yeah. that uh, brings people together. There's Are, 
Sorry, go ahead. I just there is a real strong regional identity yeah. um, that uh, Filipinos have, and that uh, that actually comes also from our Spanish colonial uh, history as well, because um, the Philippines was not one nation before. Uh, before Spain came in. We mm. were named Philippines after King Philip of Spain. Right. Um, and so it was through colonialism that actually became a nation. And Spain uh, reinforced regionalism versus a national identity. The revolution against Spain was a lot about creating a national identity. So some of our heroes, like Rizal, who was a, a writer, was about creating a national identity. So, but... But in the community today, we still have those vestiges, vestiges of regionalism um, that we also, um, we definitely have our divisions in the community. We are not like one kind of homogeneous uh, community. Um, so especially having so many different dialects, that, that's a really good question. I don't know if all dialects are present here in California, but... Um, but if it's anywhere, it would be here. But I guess let me uh, ask the more uh, pragmatic question, which is uh, both in terms of dialect and in terms of maybe the uh, different generations, how does that affect the pragmatic question? Is your work, labor, and other types of contexts and political uh, outreach and identifying voters um, – both with the difference in, in differences in dialects and, mm. and just also this, the whole slew of cultural and historical understandings and issues of identification, how does that create or does it create uh, a lot of challenges when you do your work? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Those are all things we have to think about, the generational divides and even like from, you know, those who immigrated here versus those who were, those who were born here. Um, even amongst youth, like Filipino immigrants, like they tend to like rock and are into different things than Filipino youth who are born here, who are more into hip hop and, and how you actually get different groups to come together is a challenge. And yeah. we do have um, the dialect challenges. And, and part of what we've done is like... W- and there are class divides also. So very much class divides because we have like a significant population of professionals who are middle and upper class, right? But then you don't see them as much, but we have a large significant, um, you know, a group of low-wage workers. And so there, there is a big divide in, um, in our community that way as well. So what we try and do is, um, when we try and focus on what are the things that unite us, well, yeah. we also made a very specific decision on, like, how do we move worker issues, how do we move, um, and how do we also see ourselves as connected by um, commonly, commonly being impacted around uh, dim- discrimination, uh, but then also around immigration issues as well. So trying to bring people together around real concrete things. Like FVEP, the Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, our phone bank is a great example of like an intergenerational project where they where there is, um, you know, a diverse intergenerational and immigrant, non-immigrant, 
coming together to do this um, project. And because they have this common goal together, like they build together as a team and they learn together versus um, being separated and um, seeing more of the differences. Let um, me try to be on this on get me on help me be on the right side of history in terms of the actual lexicon um the nonprofit that you founded is the Filipino Worker Center uh, not Filipino <laughs> yes. Worker Center I've read is it Pilipinex what is uh and terminology is changing all over the place for all kinds of segments and demographic groups and and uh, people uh in very profound ways what uh, would you suggest is the best way, to, even within the context of this conversation, but just in general, what would you like to let people know about uh, the terminology? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so Filipino with an F refers to people, right? Filipino people. Um, the P, Filipino, actually comes from the social justice movement here in the United States. Um, so actually, folks in the Philippines don't really know or identify with the Filipino. Filipino would be like the name of the language, actually, mm-hmm. um, national yes. language. But um, here we have the P because uh, like during the 70s, um, it was a part of regaining some of our identity. So because we were named after King Philip, that's where Filipino comes from. And so to try and move away from that colonial identity, um, like the, the local languages and dialects really don't have F. So if you hear the accent, it'd be, I'm Filipino. You know, it's, so it was about kind of reclaiming that more native accent and languages and merging it with like the com- common lexicon of Filipino. So it became Filipino as a way of reclaiming identity with ethnic studies and things like that. And the Pilipinex is simply a way of basically uh, deleting the gender-specific nature of language when we uh, have different endings. Correct, yes. Uh, And for us, we don't necessarily think, uh, we're, we're not hardliners on whether you should use the P or the F. For us, it just brings up a conversation. Um, and because immigrants, as we're working with all these immigrants, they identify with Filipino because they've never heard of Filipino, right? And so, um, so yeah, so it just brings up a, a good conversation of where that comes from and why. Because it's in the news right now, uh, a lot of the um, discussion about the upcoming census. Yes. Um, Mm. I would imagine that that's going to be very important for the Filipino community. And are you, do you have a program that you're uh, starting to, luckily we were able to defeat the citizen question, question, which I would imagine will really help in this community. Um, hopefully people understand that um, they don't have to be afraid because that question isn't there, but maybe they've heard it so many times. There's already some damage that's There's still damage. Mm -hmm. Um, So what kind of programs do you have that you're going to be doing Mm -hmm. to get people to participate? Yeah, I mean, we... We've partnered with uh, individuals who are in the Census Bureau who are actually working directly there uh, in terms of outreach and, and also like posting stuff on our social media to get, you know, to raise awareness of the upcoming census. Um, 
the person actually working at the Census Bureau is a, like a former like um, uh, community member who has participated a lot. So like we have that direct connection. Um, and as part of the Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, I think one of our objectives next year is to really, again, uh, increase awareness of of the census and, and the importance of filling it out, right? We had kind of – because we do programs every spring and fall, uh, like a field program with phoning and canvassing, um, we had kind of wanted to start it to do outreach this spring. But then we decided strategically it would be better to start it during the fall program where we would tell folks like – you know, we would call folks and say, hey – you know, the census is coming up next year and you've got to fill it out. And these are the reasons why it's important, right? And by, ra- and, and by having that infrastructure and the people to come to make calls, to go door-to-door and, and, and raise awareness of that, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to in- maximize participation in the census. So we, we have it kind of built in into the programs that are already existing. Um, but we're also looking, you know, for new opportunities to do outreach that's kind of beyond, like, our usual, like, outreach which is like los angeles county we're hoping to you know continue to do outreach beyond maybe even throughout southern california maybe we were we're we're still looking at things like that but you know um yeah so we have we have programs uh coming up this fall next year that that really focus again on on outreach and education in language too which is super important right because it's so important to be culturally sensitive and also competent because like you can receive materials from like you know, the Bureau or from the government that are in English. And yes, people will understand it. But like, if you have some, if you have someone talk to you directly in Tagalog or whatever dialect you're comfortable with, right, that, that in a sense builds the community, right? And and like Aki was mentioning earlier, brings us closer together in terms of a a set of shared values and a a set of shared goals that we have. Mm -hmm. And so, go ahead. Oh, it just, we, um, we are um, pending on some resources coming in. Uh, we're building upon the infrastructure that we have with Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, and so we might be able to really expand that. We want to be able to reach all Filipinos in L.A. County, for example. Um, and because some of the issues is not just around immigration. Some of it, sometimes it's... Um, providing some assistance in terms of, you know, how to fill it out or what to do. but And also to answer questions, because sometimes people under-report as well, like that they don't have as many people in their house because they're afraid their landlord might find out or something. So it's like you're kind of walking people through the process, and um, and we're working to also get a Filipino complete count committee also yeah. yes. so that we can, yeah, leverage that as well, as well as social media a lot of Filipinos are on Facebook, you know, uh, the Filipino channel, trying to find some good messengers. We sometimes we love our stars. So trying to get some uh, some messengers like that out there, too. Arguably, the hottest uh, trend in food in Los Angeles has been the food uh, new. And, and I don't know how traditional any of it is. I know for years there have been restaurants we would go to, and uh, if nothing else, hollow, hollow. Yeah, right, right, right. But uh, but there's just all these red hot restaurants around town, sure. eateries of one kind or other that offer the cuisine and and uh, and so that's Filipino really food. Yeah, that's it's, really it's, tremendous. That's that's, that's, it's, it is. It's it's. Uh, I actually want to give. I was born in New Yorker, so I want to give LA some credit for for not just sticking to the same old stuff. Yeah. And this is really kind of an electrifying phenomenon. I, I hope it, it's 
I hope its impact, I'm sure its impact will in some ways be beyond just, you know, let's go out and have food tonight, that it's going to be, or, you know, it's going to be something that brings a lot of people together and opens some eyes and hearts and just to the idea that there's a lot there that maybe maybe they weren't aware of, maybe mm-hmm. they were. Yeah, um, definitely. Can you... Uh, uh, so you want to give any tips as to places to eat at, or sure? Don't say in and out. <laughs> no, okay. no. I mean, there's a. I mean, just here in historic Filipino town, there are so many places that you can uh, go to that are both, you know, uh, traditional, like old school, but also like very modern, right? I mean, we could spend hours talking about them, but just a couple places, right? Just here on Temple Street, um, one of the one. If we were going for something really like old school and traditional, like something your mom or your your grandma would make you would go to like Bahay Kubo which is like a Toro Toro style so like you would pick kind of like what dishes you would want like very traditional Filipino dishes it means point point basically yeah, point, you just point, point, point to point. what you want yeah. Toro Toro yeah <laughs> and then um, there's another place called Chibogs just down on a um, so that's C-H-I-B-O-G-S right it's a restaurant slash karaoke bar um, so you know you can. It's a sit down place. You know you sit down, order the dishes, but then you can also sing afterwards. Um, Their pinak bet is really good. It's like a vegetable dish that they have. Yeah. Is it vegetarian? No, oh no. It even the vegetable dish has sprinklings of pork. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, if you're looking for something more modern, right? Just here on Beverly, on the other side of the neighborhood, right? There's a new place called Hi-Fi Kitchen, which is like historic Filipino <clears throat> town, right? But Hi-Fi Kitchen that is run by a bunch of younger, you know, Filipino American guys. And, you know, they serve, like, these bowls of, of Filipino dishes, but it's kind of got, like, that modern, like, twist to it, right? So, like, adobo, which is probably, like, the most famous Filipino or well-known Filipino dish, um, they have, like, a, a version that's, like, vegetarian, which is, like, all mushrooms. Like, and, and it's really delicious. Um, so, yeah, I mean... There's Park's Finest right. Barbecue yeah. right over here. Which was featured on, um, I think, uh, the Guy Fieri show. Diners I forgot what... Drive of yeah, he loved, yes. he loved that place, so... Um, yeah, I mean, but just to your point, uh, Paul, what you were saying about, um, you know, the food bringing the community together, I think, you know, and, and also tying it all back, I think what's some, something that uh, is uh, um, we're, we're kind of in the, all of these different fields, these different industries. So, like, it, it kind of just goes to, back to Aki's point of us being, like, very easily able to adapt and uh, forge new paths, right? So, Historic Filipino town is essentially... Uh, well, it would be partly Silver Lake, partly Echo Park, partly Temple Poetry, maybe. Am I yes, correct? Two point kind one of square miles. Beverly <laughs> to Temple, and then east and west to sort of. Uh, uh, well, it's Beverly to the one hundred and one freeway, freeway, and then like Virgil to Glendale Boulevard. So, so basically, southwest would be. I'm, I'm just curious about this. Would be MacArthur mm-hmm. Park a bit southwest. And MacArthur Park is named after <laughs> someone who obviously had a uh, significant presence in the Philippines. Um, I, I think to some extent he's maybe a bit forgotten in this country, in the U.S., although uh, our current president has chosen him as one of his favorite generals, which, by the way, I think is enough reason, reason alone to disqualify <coughs> him from being in the White House. I agree. I um, agree. So I, I was curious if if that's just a footnote to people who live in, in to the community here, or does the name MacArthur resonate in a way that maybe it doesn't for other folks who live in Los Angeles? 
Yeah, it, it does resonate differently, I think, in the Filipino community because of that history uh, where MacArthur was in the Philippines and, and left the Philippines uh, to the Japanese um, occupation. And um, yes, it, it's a long history that's it's more dark, right, in terms of how Filipinos view MacArthur. Um, and also it's really connected to the Filipino World War II veterans also. So that's why it also lives in our, our community's me- why he lives in our community's memory as well. I haven't heard that much recently, but I, I know for years that's been a big issue. It's maybe because everyone from the, that era is sort of it's dying out mm-hmm. to some extent, although there are a lot of families that mm-hmm. have connections to the veterans. And it was a huge issue, and I'm sure still is. Uh, for the veterans uh, who are Filipinos who Philippine who didn't get the kind of recognition and and support uh, that they were, I think, promised in some real ways. Mm-hmm. And so, what is? Can you just? I don't know if it's exactly in your field of endeavor in terms of the work you do, but can you? Give us a little update on, on especially maybe because mm-hmm. we're coming up to as we record this Fourth of July, and the current president has decided to pour a lot of money into uh, tanks and stuff. And mm-hmm. But there are people who are still around and their families mm-hmm. uh, that could probably use that which they well earned. Yeah. So, can you give us a little description, update, what have you? Yeah, I mean the the campaign and the movement is not necessarily as active because. One, like you said, a lot of them have passed away now. But we, there was like a victory of um, recognition of the injustice and the inequity uh, inequities that happened. Um, so there was restitution, um, you know, a modest amount of uh, reparations or restitution for uh, currently living uh, veterans and their widows. Um, so... So that was one. There's still an ongoing struggle because not everyone who should have gotten the reparations has gotten it. They've encountered different types of red tape and challenges. Um, so there, there's still an ongoing need. And every Veterans Day, there still is a parade um, for the veterans and for the ongoing struggles of getting everyone recognized. There's also a, a movement nationally and a, an effort to get medallions also to the the um, remaining veterans and their wives so that it's another recognition of what was done to them and and the indignity and so therefore like bringing back the dignity and let's let's be clear the uh, uh, the service they provided uh, I, I don't know if every single one was uh, of those persons was uh, was in the Philippines. I'm sure most were. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, fighting and conditions of the most severe, challenging, dreadful, uh, requiring extraordinary uh, endurance and 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 commitment. Mm-hmm. And there were all sorts of, I guess it's fair to say, kind of issues having to do that may have led to. Some of that that had to do with uh, commitments by, uh, I guess, the U.S. to mm-hmm. to actually have an independent country because the U.S. had not necessarily helped that cause in, in prior decades um, and times re- uh, repressed that cause of independence. Uh, but the, the, the people who are those veterans or who are those veterans, and many, some still are, 
alive with us. They uh, they were they were in I don't want to say the literal trenches. They were uh, mm-hmm. in harm's way, enduring side by side yes. with the American soldiers. And uh, and they deserve everything they could possibly be given that's just and that's a whole lot more than they were given by this country and all other soldiers around the world who were called to service uh, to service by america um in world war ii were given those benefits it was only the filipinos who um uh they passed the revision act and and it was only the filipinos who were denied those benefits after being promised yeah well, oh. uh, I'd I feel furious, that's and maybe I still do. I do anyway, but um, it is. And, and yeah. uh, well, Peping Buckley, he was uh, one of the veterans, and he was one of the leaders of the movement also here. And he said that, you know, um, Bataan was not their last battle. When they came here, they realized that they had another battle to fight, the, the battle for equity. Do I, I do either of you have uh, people who were veterans uh, in that sense? Um, my grandfather was already was here in the 1920s, so he was um, he wasn't in the Philippines, but he actually did sign up for the reserve. There was like two regiments who were in the reserve, but they never served. Um, yeah, yeah, my my grand one of my grand uncles was actually part of the Bataan Death March, and mm-hmm. he 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 died so. Not uh, my, not even my parents or my mom knew him, but yeah, I mean, just, but but my like my my grandmother would always tell stories about like, you know, the kinds of conditions that the men and the POWs had to suffer, you know, marching and you again you would, it makes me furious that to this day they're they're still not fully recognized as like, you know, as as uh, as people who served um, during the war, right and. You would think that that's something that they, that this country would provide. As we've discussed, there are all kinds of different groups or, or groupings, professionally, class-wise, uh, and otherwise, and geographically. But how much of that, if any, factors in today's world where there is in Los Angeles such a, a vast assortment of different uh, demographic uh, groups? Um, are is it is it uh, a matter that that you reach out to anyone and everyone and labor-wise and professionally and, and in terms of ethnic demographics? Uh, are there natural uh, alliances? Uh, are there any lingering tensions? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of larger coalition building, um, that's a, partly the core of what we do <laughs> is, is really building coalition because that's where you also build real power around different issues. So uh, there are PwC was founded as a part of like the growing um, worker center movement. So um, we got started uh, with the support of other worker centers uh, like uh, Kiwa, Koreatown Immigrant Workers Alliance, and uh, Thai CDC. And they gave us a space, a free space for us to get started and help to mentor us. We learned how to do wage theft calculations from Kiwa. Um, and so we, there's also other worker centers now that have grown, like uh, Rock LA Restaurant Opportunities. Um, there's Garment Worker Center. There's um, Chirla. 
um, Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles, although they have a bigger scope than just a worker center, um, as well as like IDEPSCA and the day labor centers. So um, that's one area of like our national, our natural coalitions. And because we're, we're part of the growing domestic worker movement as well. So we have a, a California coalition of domestic worker groups um, and a national domestic worker alliance as well as an international domestic worker federation. So the different domestic worker groups are definitely those that are our sister organizations. Um, and then in the Filipino community, it's really um, – PwC has grown. It's pretty amazing how big we've grown um, but uh, we really try and play a unifying um, a unifying role in the community, bringing together you know lots of different uh, Filipino groups, and there there are organizations that are here in historic Filipino town, from SIPA to FASCI, um, but then also like bringing together youth groups and um, uh, I don't know what a, a, and um, any Filipino organization, like like professional organizations, right? right. Cultural alumni associations. Right. What about across the state? Are, are you much in uh, in contact and, and working hand in hand, solidarity with those organizations? Filipino or other? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially up in the Bay Area, we have a lot of strong partnerships with folks up there. There's Filipino Advocates for Justice. Um, and there's a whole grouping of um, domestic worker organizations where we we work together to get the California Domestic Worker Bill of Rights passed um, in 2013, ending 75 years of exclusion from overtime protections for domestic workers, uh, things like that. I know you've done a lot of work in terms of uh, fighting wage theft, and mm-hmm. it's a big issue, and that's a coalition-based kind Absolutely. of campaign to deal with that. Um, and also human trafficking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know to what extent they all come together for individuals, but uh, what what is the uh, what? How can people who, are, who might be listening support your efforts in that work? And and what is some of the work you do on those issues? Mm-hmm. Well, around wage theft, so we do focus around um, caregivers and the home care industry, uh, both domestic workers or individual homes, but also those that are in like board and care facilities. Um, so, um, well, different ways. So what we do is we do do assistance, like individual assistance for workers to uh, make claims. And so like since 2006, 16, I believe. Well, in total, we've won over like over a million dollars in back wages for wow. caregivers. Um, and hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have one actually a $7.1 million citation for um, uh, care homes, um, boarding care homes for about 149 workers. Um, so this, this, uh, this case is... Um, it's a care home called Adat Shalom, and they have been paying workers $50 per day, um, and they're living workers and literally working around the clock. I mean, they get to close their eyes, but they have to be up again to, uh, you know, take care of um, their clients or the residents, and um, $50 a day um, with no overtime. 
that's about uh, it's less than three dollars. It's like two fifty an hour. So, um, and the owners were definitely making a lot of money. It's how they were able to acquire new, more and more homes, and um, and acquire wealth for themselves. So, we we do strategic cases like that also, where we can get a larger group of workers together to impact, bring visibility and impact the whole. Um, the whole industry. And then we're working on the policy side too, where we're working for a long-term care benefit to, um, to meet the affordability gap so that people, everyone can afford care and everyone can afford to pay their workers what they should. So, um, so we're coming at this from all different directions. Um, we have a Caring Across Generations campaign where we're looking at affordability and affordability and quality care based on good working conditions. So that's actually a national campaign that people can join. Um, we're going to be moving uh, legislation, um, I think, probably next year um, around a long-term care benefit. And so that's something that people can actually contribute their own stories to and advocate for. Um, but then also, so now the every... Eight seconds, someone turns 65 in our country. So the baby boomers have been coming into the retirement age for the last couple of years. So, so this part of our population has been growing exponentially. So the need for care is also growing exponentially. Given so much of the work you do involves people caring for other people, mm-hmm. uh, how much are you able to put on blinders about the whole health care debate in this country and the politics surrounding it and just go about the more kind of in, right in front of you issues that affect those workers already on a daily basis? Or to what extent are you all also mm-hmm. really keenly engaged with the the challenges of, that are on the frontier of what may happen next with this country and its, and its health care policies? Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely support, like, Medicare for all because, I mean, our workers do not get health care through their jobs also. So just being and, – and they're under these incredible conditions that wear on their health. And so sometimes we have the workers dying before those that they're caring for because they're up around the clock and it puts so much pressure on them and their wages stressful. are so low stressful plus lack of nutrition and, you know – um, so having access to health care is uh, a big issue for us, for the workers. So we definitely are, are supportive, uh, and we think everyone should have health insurance and have Medicare for all. Um, we, but Medicare, as it stands right now, does not cover long-term care. Um, it's only, it only covers um, care in your home um, for like a, a short period of time as you're like coming out of a hospital or something like that. Um, but it does not cover long-term care. Um, ideally, it would be Medicare for all that includes long-term care benefits. Um, but actually, our, our big vision is uh, universal family care, um, that everyone has access to both um, elder care and child care, you know, and that that's supported by our society. Um, that's the big vision. But, um, but, uh, but you know... We are also so we are working with these different campaigns. Um, most of them are saying long-term care isn't something that could be addressed right away, like getting actually just the public option uh, you know first um, is kind of like the big hurdle first and then think about long-term care benefits. Um, 
So that's a possibility. But we're also working then just on long-term care benefits because a lot of people are just feeling it in their individual lives right now in terms of, uh, we call it the the sandwich generation, you know, that you're, you're dealing with the care for your, your, um, your parents or other elders in your family and child care for, for your own kids. So um, because it's so personal, it's actually we've been gaining a lot of um, traction around it. So hopefully we can get a long-term care benefit that would start to close that gap on affordability so that even uh, caregivers themselves can have care and can age in their own communities and have options like that um, when they need it as well. I wanted to ask you about the model you have here where you have your center here mm-hmm. and then you have um, housing on the upper floors, yeah. um, which is, seems like a great model. Um, is this something that you would like to replicate in other places? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we would love to. Um, we started this building because we didn't want to get gentrified out of the neighborhood, actually. <laughs> and um, we saw the, the, an opening of possibility to work with Little Tokyo Service Center as a nonprofit developer because uh, we were part of an anti-gentrification task force. And so so we were able to secure the land and build this. And I think, um, actually, it's been replicated in other communities, too, like in the Korean community. Um, there's a couple centers also built that combine the housing on top and the center on the main floor. Um, but we would love to also replicate this, like, in the San- have have a center in the San Fernando Valley, sure. have it in the San Gabriel Valley, South Bay, you know, to to build more institutions. It makes a big difference having a building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were co- we, we own this building, so you know, we're we're not going to be we're institutionalized into the neighborhood and addressing that issue of housing too. And providing services right where people live. It's great. Ian, uh, this is actually an aside type of question, but uh, I know you previously uh, were uh, did some work with environmental groups. And I guess I just want to ask you to what extent you, when you're working on the issues you work on now, mm-hmm. uh, do you still feel that the, uh, not, not just in your heart of hearts, but as a practical matter in your, in your working, in the challenges you deal with, do you see the environmental, climate change, what have you, uh, c- toxic chemicals, all those things, mm-hmm. uh, which are, can be part of the workplace, of course. Sure. Uh, how much of that still the environmentalist within uh, still comes to the fore in, in those kinds of frequent challenges? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my one of the key lessons that I learned coming into PwC right was how everything kind of how everything kind of intersects right the intersectionality mm-hmm. of different issues um, because my work in, in environmental groups was very similar where we would collect petitions right go to city council meetings um, but it was kind of siloed in like a very singular issue, right? The first job I ever worked was um, collecting signatures to use more sustainable fishing nets, which only really applied to fishermen in beach communities, right? Or close to lakes or whatever. But when I came here, right, um, I was able to really expand like my, my, uh, the exposure to to, to the intersectionality of an issue. So like, 
you know, now when I look at an issue, it's not just from an environmental perspective, but also from a labor perspective. We do a lot of like, um, um, you know, uh, solidarity work with, uh, you know, Stand LA here, which really opposes drilling in neighborhoods, right? Um, because it's not healthy for our communities. Um, we're, uh, we're proud to support the work that they do. Um, we have, di- you know, all of the different groups here in Los Angeles kind of do that type of solidarity work and also are, you know, pro-environment. I mean, who isn't like pro-environment, but that's a different, that's a whole different topic. But There like, are some. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I encourage, you know, folks that, you know, to, to, to really just, when you're working in social justice, you cannot look at something at, as just like this singular monolithic issue, right? You have to look at it from different perspectives, the, ec- the economic perspective, the labor perspective, the environmental perspective, because by bringing in those different sides of the issue, right, you begin to get this bigger picture of like, oh, okay, this is how this system works. And by pulling one part, you're kind of shifting other parts of the the thing as well. So I've been very fortunate and uh, uh, excited to work here at PwC and have the opportunity to, to especially work with people, right? Um, and, yeah, and yeah. climate change is something that we can't um, ignore. It especially impacts island island people, exactly. island nations even more. So, like the super typhoons that are hitting the Philippines, I mean, very directly impact us yeah. too. So, um, yeah, like we have a member who lost two of his sisters um, in right. you know in uh, a couple year years ago in the typhoon there, and so. It's it's something that definitely lives for us, and actually PwC has been very involved in its early days. We were even more active, actually, around environmental racism, environmental justice, and it's kind of making full circle. Um, and we're we've been more and more involved and aware, bringing awareness around climate change because I think any well. For us, uh, a social justice perspective, like you have to incorporate climate yep. change and the climate crisis into how you're moving and, and what, you know, what you're doing. Because if there's no planet, there's no people and there's, you know, so there's no social justice. if There's no planet. <laughs> I think you mentioned earlier uh, some legislation that you might have going regarding long care benefits. Do you feel that the community is in the process of getting better representation on a statewide level. And how do you see this, the community influencing the state in coming years? Mm-hmm. Well, I will do a couple quick shout outs. So um, Dr. Pan um, is the uh, representative who is moving the long-term care mm. benefits piece at, in Sacramento. And then uh, uh, Senator uh, Assembly Member Phil Ting mm. actually has um, really been our champion over the last two years for our domestic workers outreach and education program, which we just got signed into the budget. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Um, and then um, Maria Elena Derasso, too. Um, mm. we're, we're looking at um, actually uh, running legislation next year to make it possible for the city and the county to really enforce overtime and meal and rest breaks because right now they're only enforcing minimum wage and most if you have a minimum wage violation usually there's an overtime violation too so it's really being underutilized because of that limitation so uh so maria elena has expressed that she you know will work with us to um and and champion it next year she's an incredibly tough (laughs) fighting oh yes so Mm -hmm. there you go um so you so it's great you're you're getting uh, 
the ears and the, and the voices of uh, people who are capable of doing a lot of good. But direct uh, representation of Filipinos in actually elected spaces, we, for the size of the community that we are, we were we are sorely underrepresented. Yeah. Um, Why is that? Historically, so. well, I think we haven't built as much of our power. Uh, we, we haven't had a large focus around building political power for the Filipino community. And so I think that's one one thing. Um, and just in general, getting our community together. One, because we're so dispersed, sometimes like we don't have the density in different areas then to, uh, to you know, swing the votes. In certain areas we do. But... Um, but I think it, it also just hasn't been something that's been nurtured overall in our community to go into politics. And I don't know if that's partly because, like, in the Philippines, for example, um, you know, there's so much corruption and, you know, a, a, a lot of times um, people don't want to go into that political machinery, be, um, you know, associated with that. Whereas here, it's like you need to know that, or we need to know as a community that, in order to build power, we really also need to have people, not just people who look like us and are Filipinos, but who are really responsive and, and sure. deeply rooted in the issues and, and will act. So, and, and also in the Philippines, I mean, between the dialects and the, and the how many islands there are, yes. it's just, it's, I mean, people in politics in L.A. get, uh, you know, get, uh, how can I put it, uh, deterred when there is a gate that you have to figure out how to get past, and it's not. It's different when there are the you know, lots of different dialects and and thousands or however many islands there are there. There are plenty, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, is the printed material that you, that's used for outreach is that uh, which when it's not in English, is there one primary written language that's uh, for the Filipino community? Yeah, I mean most of our. Uh, written materials are in Tagalog, which is like kind of like the most spoken dialect and kind of the unifying language, I think, of the uh, of the country. And but we also have like I, I mean some 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 of our programs have uh, materials in different dialects as well. And also our phone banking operations. I think this part of the strength of it is since we ha- are really training actually workers, even if they can't vote themselves, uh, who yeah. they become kind of leaders in the phone banks and they and they carry with them then their own language capabilities. So being able to reach out to someone and speak in Ilocano or Visaya, um, it really makes a connection in a way that you couldn't if you didn't actually have that capability. Is it fair to, to guess that young people, including climate issues and other issues are uh, increasingly becoming political from uh, or politicized or or interested within the Filipino community yeah I I mean you know I think the Philippine X yeah I mean that's great we're we're all learning um to use that um yeah I think I think uh in in uh in my generation the 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 so-called millennial generation I guess if you want to use that term um, I, I think we're 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 get, we're getting a lot more politicized, right? Because we don't really a, lo- a lot of our generation is kind of born here in the United States, right? Having having grown up in in, in, in the culture here, right? Um, we don't we we don't necessarily carry the same traumas of our parents and grandparents from the Philippines, right? So it's allowed it's a, I think it's really allowed th- that generation to really you know forge their own like what is what is what does it mean to be filipino-american which is again a whole nother conversation right 
Um, but yes, I think I think our generation, the, the youth, is getting more involved, right? And they're also, uh, in effect, also bringing in their families as well because one one big one, one very common value in the Filipino community is family, right? Like you you don't just you know leave anyone behind. You you take care of each other. And so by by being politicized around important issues that matter, like climate change, like, you know, racial justice, uh, economic justice, right? It, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like this uh, this relationship that you have where you where you where you, you get involved, but you also bring along um, your family along. But again, this is it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Right. It, it's going to take years and years of organizing and making sure that people we meet people where they're at. Right. And. Um, yeah, and, and making sure that they yeah. know what's up. And I think there hasn't been a really strong infrastructure to really focus and outreach to Filipinos uh, and Filipino Americans. Which, so, which is, which is going to be the, the I think the last big question I ask. But sure. I do want to ask one other thing, which is um, uh, my guess is to whatever extent um, there are, is has been in, in the community any paternalistic uh, tendencies. That that's changing too, yes. for a number of reasons. I would guess, including trends in this country, which are not necessarily ahead of the curve compared to some parts of the world. But sure. there are certainly changes happening here. Um, I say women and LGBTQ. I forget if I included that. Uh, also, as you described earlier, Aki, the how the law changed and uh, allowed a lot of people to come into work in professions who maybe weren't eligible before, and that mm-hmm. also brought in a lot of women who uh, earn wages, maybe not what they deserve or what is socially and otherwise just, but probably the whole landscape has changed in that regard. Um, so I guess a heck of a quick question is uh, there are specific and there is a question mark attached to this. There are specific trends and efforts going on now to grant, to claim and assert uh, more uh, more power uh, by women and for the sake of women and the LGBTQ community and within the mm-hmm. uh, Filipino X community as a whole. Yes, and I mean. I don't, um, I mean, my view is also, I'm surrounded by strong, powerful women, like in the domestic worker movement specifically, like um, being able to see so many women come into leadership to, uh, you know, to speak to power in Sacramento, but then also even fundamentally in our organization, step into roles of leadership where they're also really grappling with all of these different issues affecting us. So um, so I see a lot of uh, Filipina, Filipinex, um, you know, s- stepping into leadership. And I think that's partly kind of with uh, PwC, that's, you know, that's a heart of who we are. And I think that's what's really gained a lot of um, respect from other organizations as, like, we have these amazing, strong women who mm-hmm. are really moving things not only narrowly in the domestic worker field but speaking about democracy speaking about the environment speaking about you know uh, all housing and all of these different issues that we're facing and standing together with other communities too could you share whatever website or other information sure yeah our um for uh, PwC, our website is uh, www.pwcsc.org. Um, you can find all of our uh, latest updates there. 
um, if you're interested in joining our membership, it's uh, there are links there as well, as well as to you know uh, donate to the work that we do. Um, so please check us out. We're also on social media, uh, Facebook, you know, Filipino Workers Center, Instagram, uh, Twitter as well. Um, just search Filipino Workers Center PWC, and you'll find our handles there. Uh, for FFEP, for the Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, you can go to www.fvep.org. Um, and same thing with the social media as well. You can it's it's we're we're on we're on everything. We're on the twenty first century, and also actually just as a as a as a plug in, we also have an app that we use um, to uh, for our caregivers and for our community to ask questions about you know their labor issues. It's called the Emplay Openoy app. So um, it's available in the App Store and Google Play. If you download it, you can ask a question about you know your specific labor issue around minimum wage, sick leave, or any other topic, and you'll get personalized support from uh, either a AI or one of our experts here at Filipino Workers. My final kind of general question is uh, really about the specific work being done by uh, the Filipino Voter Empowerment Project, which was started, I believe, in the fall of 2017. Yes. And can you just, well, first of all, what, what percentage of the population, uh, well, yeah, tell, tell us what you do and party affiliations, maybe some data if you have it about sure. the general trends within the community anyway. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, you know, uh, Filipinos, like uh, we've we've referred to multiple times, are the lar- one of the largest API groups, Asian Pacific Islander groups here in California, and the second largest in the nation, right? There are 1.6 million Filipinos in California alone, and that was of the last census. So we're going to... And the s- largest is... And, and, and the large... And, well, and the largest in the country is uh, China, our Chinese Americans, right? Um, and but there are almost there are more than four million Filipinos nationwide. But one point six of them live in California, which is almost half. Um, you know, we again we 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 again we seek to increase the uh, civic participation of the Phil the Filipino American community through field programs, education, and we're doing this project under an integrated voter model where it's not just you know where you talk to people like. Oh, you know, before an election or right after or right before or whatever. Um, but it's a year-long program wherein we engage people about important issue-based campaigns where we really try to get to the heart of why being a good, you know, participant in your in your society civically is uh, why why it's important to do that, right? So we talk about issues like immigration, you know, long-term care, um, uh, education, education, right? All all of these different things. Um, you know, last just last year alone, uh, before the 2018 midterms, right, we called little almost 34,000 Filipinos throughout Los Angeles County. We got almost, I, I want to say, almost two, a little more over 2,000 contacts, meaning people that were, you know, engaged in our work, right? Um, and we're a nonpartisan. It's a nonpartisan uh, 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 job, so we're not, you know, we're not endorsing candidates specific parties or anything but we do do work around like you know specific ballot initiatives like you know a couple of years ago we uh did we we, we were talking i mean not not a couple of years ago last year we were talking about uh, uh proposition 10 you know around uh, rent control right and yeah we, we we kind of again go back to those issues to make sure that people understand what's going on and have and have them form their opinion about it and maybe even change some hearts and minds as well about that it's also certainly obvious that so many close races that that affect this country as a whole as well as people in their daily lives and their own quality of life 
um, so many races are decided by so small, so few votes right. that what you're doing is both changing the landscape po- potentially politically, mm-hmm. but also making candidates and parties and, and independents and whoever candidates uh, certainly aware of the necessity to recognize the issues and the identity of, of the, the voters of the community. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's really probably doing a lot to change things, I'd assume. And so yeah. good luck with that. Uh, right? thank you. Do, do you have any um, numbers on how many Filipinos are actually registered to vote, and how many actually do vote? And are you doing voter registration sure. for the new, for new citizens who sure. come, you know, to come into the country? And and what about other members in households who may mm-hmm. not, older people who may not, taken the time to register? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean. Um, we last year we definitely did do some efforts around voter registration at citizenship ceremonies for newly uh, for newly you know newly sworn in citizens right uh, we would have booths around and register folks but in terms of the voter registration numbers Renee I think um, depending on the district that you look at I think uh, one of our focuses is around Senate District Twenty Four uh, which is kind of like the Eagle Rock Glendale area where mm-hmm. there's in in L A County it's kind of really the densest area where Filipinos are I believe there are. God, what's the number? 40, 50,000 registered, between 40 to 50,000 registered Filipinos. And turnout is actually pretty, um, our, our, our turnout in elections is pretty, like, uh, uh, it's pretty variable. I think in presidential elections, uh, those are typically pretty high, like 60, sure. uh, 60 to 70 range. But in midterms, it's much lower, around like 20%. But what we saw was there was a, in 2018, last year during the midterms, and everyone was really excited about what was going to happen, right? Um, and also motivated, right? Um, we saw turnout in the district that we targeted go up by almost 20% to wow. 40. So we, if, well, if they had been contacted by us. By, if by they you. had been contacted mm-hmm. by us. Right. So, so again, right, it, it, it's a matter of, of, of reaching out to communities like ours, the Filipino-American community, that have not been reached out to. Because frankly, I mean, you know, campaigns are not really going to, call us if they don't think we are important mm-hmm. i mean that's that that's mm-hmm. the reality of it but like if we can show that like you know we are important and these are the issues that matter to us and this is how we want you to respond to our issues if we can build that you know people will start saying oh hey we got it we, we can't just reach out to the latino community we can't just reach out to the black community but we also got to talk to the filipino community right, right? Mm-hmm. and then gives us more power and leverage when we right. are you know uh bringing our demands and the needs Issues. of our communities right. Uh, right not during elections but when they're in office and of i'm not really going to look at anyone in particular when i ask about recruiting candidates from within the community is that something that's become a more uh whether or not it's an official focus of, of what people and groups in the community do are is there an awareness that you want to have more candidates and elected officials who are of the community I mean, just this past Saturday, we actually had a uh, small, we had a, uh, a community forum wherein, you know, for, uh, former and current Filipina American, uh, Filipina American and Filipina Canadian can- candidates and, and, and office holders came in to speak about their experiences. Mm. Um, and I think we actually, in that room itself, we had a couple of folks who were aspiring to run for office, whether it was city council, whether it was a state assembly, right? And they had very, you know, important conversations about what it meant to be you know, a representative and, and, and kind of the both the successes and challenges that they went through, right? Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, in some time in the you know we are, we continue to build community leaders, right? And and uh, you know if if they if they choose to run for office, right? We we can we hope that they you know are responsive to our needs and they have the same kind of values that that, that we hold here at PwC, yeah. right? I mean, it is one of our stated goals, get more representation. But our focus in terms of like kind of on the ground programmatic stuff first is really about how do we get the Filipino uh, community out? How do we also do it in a way that uh, they're really educated and making good decisions and, you know, uh, good educated decisions uh, while we're also, uh, you know, putting that out there that we want more representation. But we need to have a strong community to hold them accountable as well. And is there a significant community in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the elected, the elected official's name was Mabel Elmore and, uh, she came down and yeah, there is a, there is a pretty sizable community or almost, I think a million Canadians, in, I mean, a million Filipino Canadians in Canada. Other- it's one of the fastest growing communities in yeah. Canada. I want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing your time and your your thoughts, and of course for your activism uh, ongoing, uh, which is clearly uh, whatever boots in the ground kind of stuff in a lot of ways, but also is touching uh, the decision making apparatus, apparati, whatever the term would be, and that you're. Uh, Moving forward in such a dynamic way to help the community is really great. And also in terms of the specifically in terms of just helping people to uh, know more about voting and, and to be yeah. engaged in that level. The, the, the fact that so many people are responding when you reach out to them, which you do, uh, is, is just a great way of helping our society as a whole as well as right. the specific community and its uh, people in neighborhoods. Uh, to to get a, a better handle on uh, on bettering their own quality of life and uh, and everyone's in, in in shared community shared uh, quality of life. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank and, you so much for your interest too in learning more about our community and everything that we're doing. Yeah, we appreciate it and thank you for the opportunity. And, and, Salamat. And we we encourage everyone to. to Visit the website, which, one more time, is... Uh, www.pwcsc.org and www.fvep.org. And so on that note, thank you, Kat. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. You can share a comment, question, or idea by emailing us at slenunciator at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more of our podcasts at slenunciator.com. Wherever you may be, have a lovely day.